You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Mike Chappell. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins here on the board as well, even though I scream from time to time. He's already adjusting the board because right off the top, I, I, I make my presence known, Joe, and I apologize for that. That's I think right. it's the acoustics in here. This is like a suite at Lucas Oil. This is just plush. Where we are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd think we're upper scale looking, <laughs> <laughs> looking around here right now. I'm trying to think where they put the mops and where you put closets. <laughs> yeah, might be. Well, I'm sure you. Uh, we had a plush meeting earlier this week with Colts general manager Chris Ballard, a little, uh, a little jam session between him and the media. No cameras allowed, so you're not going to see any of this spe- spectacular interaction on Fox 59 CBS 4. But still, it's a chance for us to go and to learn maybe a thing or two of behind-the-scenes stuff, some background on... On, um, on Colts players they drafted in particular is kind of what he was talking about, and then some other other issues, Mike, uh, that were at least discussed a little bit as well. Yeah, one thing there are there is no video, but we did I did post something earlier today and and last night on the website because it it's really a great behind the scenes look at how they do it, why they do it, and not that he's trying to win us over about this is the right way, is this this is our way. And primarily it was set up as it was last year. This is the second year we've done it to where he shows this workout tape. This, this is what we saw of Rocket Yassin. This is what we saw of, of the linebackers in Kahari Willis and people like that. And why, you know, they measure this, their speeds this, but we saw this really, really valuable. But before that, or I guess after that, but we'll get to before his Chris, talked about guys who were rehabbing from injuries mm-hmm. and lo and behold Darius Leonard had ankle surgery How about last that? week like from from my perspective when I hear that my immediate reaction is why don't you have ankle surgery right after the season if it was man- bugging you for the season and, and I got a bunch of responses like that and my response is it was considered they thought that just time off would heal it right he came into to their offseason workouts in the first week or two, it was still bothering him. So then you say, okay, let's get it taken care of. It's a six-week rehab. So it's to avoid surgery is a good thing. It's always funny when they, the team will say, well, it's minor surgery. Well, it's not minor if it's surgery. Right. If it's on me, it's not minor. If you're cutting somebody's leg up. Correct. Yeah. And it's funny. They, they call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. I mean, right. is, is procedure less than surgery? <laughs> but, but So we've got that, and they, they expect him you know, six weeks, which, which means he'll miss – all of OTAs, mm-hmm. but he'll be ready for camp. Eric Ebron had groin surgery. Uh, he'll be ready for camp. I'm not sure about the OTAs. Jack Doyle had the hip surgery during the season and kidney surgery, or he had hip surgery after the season, kidney surgery, kidney surgery during the season. Right. He's supposed to be cleared in mid-June, which means he's not likely to play in the OTAs, but ready for camp. Uh, Anthony Walker, they said he had remnants from last year. He had a lot of things bugging him. Uh, Deion Kane was interesting with the ACL. Cost him his rookie season. Yep. They're again looking at to be cleared for, for some kind of on-field work in mid-June. Ready for camp, but he also put a disclaimer on Deion Kane where he said it might be November, mid-November, because it's it's it, t- it takes more than nine or nine to eleven months to get over an ACL, and especially if you're a wide receiver. Maybe if you're an offensive tackle and you tear your ACL, you can come back and be pretty darn close to hundred percent in six to eight months. If you're a wide receiver that has to make cuts and you're based on speed and uh, agility, that there's no way you're a hundred percent. Not with where ACL surgery and rehab is right now. It's gotten better, but it's still it's still not uh it doesn't get you on the field at 100% that fast. And we saw that with Malik Hooker last year. Had the ACL was at mid-season, rookie year and he came back and was ready to play but wasn't there. He just was, eh, yeah, yeah, real really so this will be a, a good year for him to just to not have any serious rehab to just concentrate on that. So but but the, the positive sign is that everyone should be ready at some level for training camp, which will be late July up in Grand Park. Uh, Ross Travis as well had an ACL, or at least had a knee injury. I think it was an ACL. Missed last year. So it's always cool to get an an update on the roster. Uh, Someone mentioned Spencer Ware and his role. And he'll he'll compete with Jordan Wilkins and Jonathan Williams to be that number two running back. Mm -hmm. Naheem Hines is sort of 
a gadget player. Not, and we talked about this, I think, last week or two weeks ago. He's not the guy that for four weeks you want him to be your running back. He's that, not going to come in and rush it 17 no, times. Right. No, but they, but they think Spencer Ware might, and they're really, really high on Jonathan Williams. They just are. Didn't get a chance or the opportunity last year to put him on the field, but they they really liked what he brings. He says both he and Spencer Ware are those after contact guys and, and make people not make people miss, but make them you know run over them type of guys. So interesting, and it just gives you again. And he reemphasized on Naheem Hines that he surprised the the team how well he was as a running back, but they were just off the charts with how he assimilated into the passing game. Although he had a receiver's background. Uh, I think he had the third most receptions in a rookie season by a Colt mm-hmm. behind Bill Brooks and Marvin Harrison, I believe. It's a pretty good company. Pretty good group. So, again, it's a very, very enlightening. Uh, but but the, the thing was all about the draft picks, and we've talked about the draft picks, and he just explained why they did what they did, at what point in the draft they did it, before we get in too sure. deep into the uh, into the draft picks, I do I want to mention something just about the injuries since you brought them up at the beginning of these offseason surgeries. I think about nine times out of ten, or even ninety nine times out of a hundred, offseason surgeries to me they're not that concerning, especially when they say the player is going to be back and ready for camp and he's going to be going. I, it, it's it's not it's not worth it to get worked up about. Oh, I Darius Leonard he had ankle surgery. Oh shoot, oh, how's he going to be next year? It, it's way too early to to really. To, to freak out over something like this. And I don't think many people do, but I at least want to mention it. That well, just, they, they did on my timeline last <laughs> night. Darius Leonard in surgery. <laughs> but people need to remember, he played most of last season. I think he hurt the angle against Houston in, in week, week four. four. And he missed, I think he misses the next game. Yes. It might have been, was it New England? Maybe. And, and then he, it bothered him all year, and he's 163 tackles and this, that, and the other. If you play that well on a... First team All-Pro, defensive rookie of the year, so... Uh, again, it was a case of they tried to put this off, and there there have been a lot of cases in the past where teams have you, you just try to avoid surgery just because it just makes sense. But with this one, again, it was get it done, let him heal for six weeks, miss OTAs, which that's going to give the rest of these young kids a chance to really get the reps they need. He'll be ready for camp, so there there won't be any really you know time missed as far as with the defense. Totally. So right now. I see it as nothing but a positive for the Colts linebacking core as a whole. That Darius Leonard's going to be back just fine by training camp. He can spend the um, he can spend the off season rehabbing that and also diving further into the playbook because we think we anticipate Matt Eberflus is going to open things up a little bit more this year. It's going to be more than just a zone, which they played uh, almost extensively last year. He's going to work more man. There's going to be more different blitz packages for sure with all these hybrid linebackers they're bringing in so Darius even though he's not on the field doing it he can at least study it um and for all the young guys who this is their first NFL experience they they can be out on the field doing it and learn on the fly so even though you never want to hear the word all pro linebacker and surgery in the same sentence I'm not jumping off the cliff I think fans would be surprised how many players on each team has something done during the offseason, just mm-hmm. some cleanup. And, and the older you get, you probably get more and more. But, uh, I, again, I, I, this is, unless we get to July and something's really out of whack, this was a very, very positive uh, update, health update by the GM on these players. So then, as you said, after kind of those injury updates and offseason updates for some guys who are on the roster, kind of the main focus of this, uh, this powwow session with Chris Ballard was the draft class, why they decide to take players where they do, what the strategy is in going and looking at them on tape and what they see there and how they translate into what the Colts want to do. So we'll start right at the top of the draft with Rock Yassin, the Colts' first pick, which came in the second round this year. So he's going to be the guy that gets a lot of the attention thrust on him immediately because he's the first one that enters your building. He's your highest draft pick. So understandably, fans should expect to see him on the field more or just as much as anybody else. So about Rocky Yassin, what did Chris Ballard have to say? Well, he admitted that there's going to be a transition period because he played primarily press at Temple, and there's going to be you know not not as much of that here. And one thing that was interesting that, that Ballard said is when you go to the combine or you go to these workouts, one thing that the coaches look at is what can we do to fix this guy to fit what we need to do? And one of the main things again is can he can he he called it play bail coverage can he can he get off press 
and get back more in zone. But he's very high on him. He said initially, again, with him being a transfer from uh, Presbyterian, Presbyterian three years of Presbyterian, then, yes. he was, and then, he, then he goes to Temple, is that he, he was on their radar, but not high on their radar. But the more that he played, and it may seem minuscule, but he, he earned that single digit at Temple, which, which is a, a badge of honor mm-hmm. at the school. He called him a pit bull. He loves his work ethic. He loves his character. And, again, does he start when the season opens? Probably not because they're, I tell you, they are extremely high on Quincy Wilson. They just mm-hmm. are, which is a good thing. But, they again, they, one thing he said, I thought it was exceptional from a moving standpoint, meaning his workout, the way he competed, the way he caught the ball in coverage. But, again, it was what can we do to fix what he needs to do at the next level, and they, they think this kid's going to be a really, really good player. And that's one reason that going into the draft, I wasn't, I didn't think the Colts were going to, have too much interest in Yassine because of what he did in college. It was different than what the Colts had done last year. But like I've said a couple of times, if the defense is going to expand, if they're going to do different things, they need some players with different strategy or different strategies, different, um, different talents. And Yassine certainly brings in a different type of talent. And uh, that's something that jumped off the page to Chris Ballard, I guess, and the entire staff when, and, when we saw him. And one of the things since I mentioned it, Quincy Wilson, again, you just see Chris Ballard's eyes light up when he mentions Quincy Wilson. He says, you guys are going to see it this year. He said, look at his body, man, which that's – you should take that hey <laughs> I know. But he said he's transformed himself. He's changed his body. He came in at 214. Remember, he was 20 years old when he came in. Yes. I think Rock has seen might be older than Quincy Wilson. Really? I'm not sure. <laughs> he I'm said, on it. But, but he said he was 214. He said now he was – he's like 192. He said he had 14, 15% body fat as a rookie. Now it's like 7. He said he's really – he didn't use the word mature, but that, that's what we've always talked about with Quincy. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see how that works. And, and, and as Chris Ballard mentioned, competition only makes these players good. And I can I can only imagine the, the Colts fans out there saying, finally, when it comes to Quincy. Right. But, of course, it hasn't happened yet. But it's Ballard basically prodding us in that direction, that Quincy is there, that he is ready to take the next step. So this training camp and beginning of the season, I'd say, with, with Ballard shining the light on him, you don't see that from Chris Ballard too much. Remember back to Malik Hooker when Chuck Pagano said he Ed looks Reed. like Ed Reed. Oh. And then Ballard was like, no. <laughs> time, in, in, time out, in, in, fl- in fewer <laughs> words, stop talking. Stop the madness. But yeah, when, when Chris Ballard shines a light, like I said, on someone, that draws my attention because it's not something that he is completely prone to do. Joe? And Mike, you're correct. Uh, Rocky Sin turns 23 at the end of this month, and Quincy won't until August. So it's it's just, and I've talked before. It's, it's like Miles Turner with the Pacers. Yep, he's been here forever. And what is he? 23? I think. I mean, maybe Miles Turner. That. Maybe 23. So again, it was a little un, not. It's not unfair. He he was a pro, but it was very clear when Quincy came in that, and he even mentioned that, that maturity was an issue. It's the way he reported for his first training camp. He said he was out of shape. Uh, and even last year, it, it took Mike Mitchell to come in and sort of show him how to do things, how, how to be a pro. And now this is on Quincy Wilson to, to, to sort of be a candle of his, of his own progress, and we'll see if it works. So that's cornerback Rock Yassin. Further down in the second round, the Colts select linebacker Ben Banigou, who played the Sam position in Bitten College. He'll be a rush guy on passing downs for the Colts. And uh, at the Senior Bowl, uh, nobody could block him. Is what uh, is what Chris Ballard seemed to indicate. Yeah, and he's right now. He's, he said he said he made a lot of people look bad. Yeah, uh, and he showed he showed his tape of and his his first step quickness is really impressive. Either that or the offensive linemen there were Just playing molasses. the sand. So, but but th- this is a guy that we're so used to saying this guy is this. He's a Sam linebacker. He's a rush end. He's well. This guy's going to be everything. He's going to play all of that. Uh, he, he said again they kicked him inside even uh, at tackle at the Senior Bowl and he said he was he said he was freaking good on rushdowns. He said again they couldn't block him in practice. So he said this past during this offseason workout they worked him at Sam. Uh, the other day they they put him with the pass rushers and, and they just want to see how the depth works out to where he's the best fit because they've got a lot of numbers in that front seven. We want to see how this thing shakes out. What the Colts are doing with this linebacker class, well, well, I'm going to mention it now. We can maybe get into it a little bit more when we talk about the other linebackers. But it seems like what they're doing is 
I, I don't want to go as far as to say revolutionary, but it's definitely something that we don't see often in the NFL with all these guys that are hybrid guys. And if you're going to stick them all on the field all at once, it's going to be very interesting to see what exactly they can do. If you bring up Banigou as a guy who can play in the interior on the defensive line for crying out loud, I mean, we've already viewed we already viewed him as a Sam, as a rush end, as you can do multiple things as some of these other guys. But like I said, we can we can get into that a little bit more when we discuss the other guys. But um, Banigou is intriguing because um, I guess how much are we going to see him at rush? Um, is a question that I would have, especially with the guys that the Colts uh, that the Colts have from last year, with Ture developing another year as a rush end, and uh, you know, Tyquan Lewis Justin being Houston. I mean, it, it's, Justin Houston there. Yeah, he he pushes Ture back, so you think Ture pushes exactly uh, Benigu back. One one thing he he did say he he compared what they want to do was Seattle and Bruce Irvin, and he he mentioned like in passing downs, he said ideally, you know, in a perfect world, you you put four defensive ends out there. And again, we, we've mentioned the names that can be there, the Houstons and, and Toure and this guy in Taekwondo Lewis. And, and, and Jabal Sherrod mm-hmm. is a quality pass rusher. Danico Autry, nine sacks last year. So the one thing I, I, I did ask Chris about was they went out and got Justin Houston two-year, whatever the contract was, at $25 million? I can't remember what it was. I think Tw- it's just under. I think okay. it's around 24 But I said, is that what you're going to have to do? Ideally – the Colts are going to be drafting 25th, 26th, or whatever. You're not going to be high up. And he said, you know, he said D Ford, they, they got D Ford late first round, I believe, in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And it took him three years. He said, we, he said, we were getting crushed in Kansas City about missing on this guy. He said, some, it just takes some guys longer. But he said, he has no problem with having a pass rush that has five, six, seven guys contributing continually. And the one thing he did say about, Banigou until they know what is what how where he's going to fit. He said the one area I really think can, can impact our team is on third down. Once he develops, he'll play some defensive end and just sick him. Th- that guy has that guy has the ball. Go get him. So they they really think that with just pure talent, maybe as a rookie especially. You just let him be a specialized player and in, in, in offer pass rush. Guys who always end up around the ball tend to be special, and Darius Leonard was that last year. Every play, every tackle, it seemed like, even if he wasn't the guy bringing it down, he was right behind him. So the more guys you can get like that, heck, the better your defense is probably going to be. That's one thing. We'll, we'll get to Okariki, but he, 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 he said Okariki is a lot like Darius Leonard. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, the difference is when, when you put tape, college tape on of Darius Leonard, he was always making tackles. He said, this guy's not at that level, Okariki, he said, but he's always around the ball, and and since we meant, since I mentioned Okariki, he showed a lot of film of him in, uh, at Stanford, and it was amazing when you watched him. He, I think he wore number 20 in college. Mm-hmm. You think he's a safety yeah. with his speed and the way he covers, and his closing on the quarterback was incredible. So it's all about, and he talked again, it's all about competition, athleticism, and speed. Because he pointed out, he said, this year the Colts, look, look at the quarterbacks they faced. Mahomes, uh, Mariota, uh, Baker Mayfield, and I'm missing another one that, that he mentioned. But uh, Deshaun Watson, for crying out loud, in Houston. Yeah, see him twice. He, he said, you have to be able to chase these guys down. He mentioned there were several plays against Houston last year where Deshaun Watson broke containment, and Darius Leonard chased him down. So instead of getting 30 yards down the field or a touchdown, it's maybe a seven-yard scramble. So that's what's impressive is he wants guys – in a league that's so much in passing, and now you're getting these mobile quarterbacks, which the Colts don't have. Andrew Luck's not going to – he's mobile, but he's not going to do what these guys do. You've got to be able to limit the damage. He said, ideally, you want to keep guys in the pocket. You just know that's not going to happen as often as you want. Anything more on Okariki since you brought him up? And we, we've been talking linebackers. We can come back. We can talk about Paris Campbell in a little bit and Kerry uh, uh, Willis as well. But uh, Okariki, a guy that's certainly intriguing. He's a seventh – Colts linebacker draft pick in the past three years. So they've been stocking up at that position, but apparently there's something in this guy for Chris Ballard to spend a third round pick on him that he, that he likes quite a bit. He mentioned that uh, near the end of the last season, maybe it was a Giants game. They were out of linebackers. I think that might've been a game that Anthony Walker missed. I'm not sure. Darius Lynn was banged up, but, but they were out of linebackers and they had to go down to the practice squad and get, I believe Ahmad Thomas. Ahmad Thomas. Yes. And he was a safety in college, Ahmad Thomas was. He transitioned so, to linebacker. So it just shows you how 
at times you have to improvise uh, when injuries hit. But he said they going into this offseason, he said, we've got to build some depth at inside linebacker. It's too important to us. He said, we went into it looking to create competition. I'm going to have that. And again, what you notice is, is it's, it shouldn't be dismissed. Seven linebackers are draft picks of Ballard. So he knows what they want to get. They really, really like Anthony Walker. Uh, but there's going to be competition. And he, he said right now they're playing Okariki at Mike and Sam. He will play some Will. Uh, but he'll definitely get in there and compete. And he said, remember when I said hawking the quarterback? This is another guy they think can get after the quarterback. Again, the, the problem, which is a good thing, is how do you do it? How do you mix and match? You're not going to take Darius Leonard off, off the field. I certainly don't think so. And somebody's got to beat out Anthony Walker. So we, we, when you've got the defensive front with all these pass rushers that you think you have and these linebackers, they want to get Kahari Willis in the lineup as well. Maybe he can be a a, a, a different guy in, in the sub packages. But, uh, again, what he said about uh, Okariki, he said he's not Darius. Every tape you put on of Darius in college, he was making tackles. He said, but he's good. This kid's going to be a good player for us. So uh, they're very high on these these linebackers. And one guy he didn't mention, probably because we ran out of time, was EJ Speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm guessing that's because we ran out of time. Sometimes right. you don't mention guys because they haven't really – the light hasn't come on yet, but they are extremely high. They went in a uh, second day of the draft hoping to get either Banagoo or Okariki. They got them both. Yeah, that's pretty good, Joe. Well, while we're on linebackers, do you think because the Colts have so much more depth at a position they didn't last year that they'll play more three linebackers? It, looking at the snap count, Leonard played 955, Walker played 694, and the next most linebacker in terms of snaps for the Colts was 178 was Zaire Franklin. So we basically played two linebackers. Zaire Franklin from? Syracuse. That's right. <laughs> My boy. Just wanted to get that out there. Is there somebody in this room from Syracuse? I keep forgetting. What? I don't know. Well, one thing about that with the two linebackers is they were probably in, in nickel packages or not base 65% of the time, so you're going to lose a linebacker. That's why I want to see how they're going to incorporate these guys, these new guys, in, into the lineup. And we're going to see some funky schemes, some funky alignments. But the snap count to me reflects how little they pay, they play base. Yeah, uh, you may see more snap counts with that extra with that third uh, corner or third safety, as opposed to that that linebacker. I think they're probably going to use more of these guys in blitz packages this year. Just that's a, may might be a shot in the dark, but hearing about how Chris Ballard talks about these guys, talking about their skills, and talking about the different talents that they have, whether it's speed, whether it's uh, rush ability with Banigou. I think he's going to put them in there to try to do some elaborate things on defense. And so you might see still three linebackers on the field in a passing down, but two of them are coming uh, for the quarterback. And so that that's that's what I think could happen right now. That's before seeing anything in training camp, before seeing anything in preseason games, of course. But I think it could be a very interesting defensive strategy and defensive scheme if they decide to send these guys after the quarterback on specific passing downs. One thing I'm going to have to guard against is always trying to compare this 4-3 with Tony Dungy's 4-3. Right. They're the same in name only. Because with Tony Dungy, his pass rush primarily was Mathis and Freeney. For good reason. I mean, they're they're one and two. That's all you needed. That's all you needed. Well, now you're not going to have that one guy. Although, just an aside, Chris Ballard mentioned about Justin Houston. He's 30 or 31. He thinks he can still be a 12, 13, 14 sack guy if he if he plays enough games. He th- still thinks that he's got plenty of tread on the tire. But beyond him, it's just going to be this guy, that guy. There's there's going to be four or five guys. Again, they had, you know, the, the leader last year had nine, but Denico Autry, which was a career high. Yeah. And then I think Darius Leonard was second with maybe seven. So it's it's just it's going to be a 4-3 sort of because it's got you got to call it something but this to me this is not going to resemble Tony Dungy's 4-3 at all. And can't forget Kenny Moore coming off the edge as well. The, the oh yeah, sensational Valdosta State product. Quarterback killer. That's right. <laughs> Whether he's uh sacking them or intercepting it, Kenny Moore. 
quarterback killer. Kenny Moore the second. Kenny Moore the second, excuse me. Paris Campbell, the other second-round pick from the Colts. Um, quote, here it is, Mike, sometimes you've got to be lucky, end quote. I think that uh, the Colts were very, very happy to see Paris Campbell fall to them at 59 in the second round. They just didn't think he would be there. First of all, they went into the offseason knowing they had to address wide receiver. Initially, they wanted to get more size. That's Devin Funches. What is he, 6'4 and 220-ish, whatever? Yeah, 220, yeah. College but, tight end. Right, and then they, they wanted, you know, ideally to get speed uh, at, at receiver. But again, the priority in the draft was to help the defense. Seven of the ten picks were defense. But it, it came to them at, at, at when, 20, when 59 starts getting there, Here's Paris Campbell, and it's a guy that they that just went through the roof literally at the combine. And Frank Reich, I'm sure he, he knew about him going in, but it just it just took his breath away how great. I think uh, after the draft, we were told, you know, Chris Ballard mentioned that he was intoxicated with how well this kid played, and they can't wait to get him on the turf full time. Uh, and again, the quote he says, "Sometimes you just get lucky." Did, did we like Paris Campbell? Absolutely. Did we think he'd be there at fifty nine? No. Hmm. So, so uh, it, it's just when he was there, you, you just you say, really, we we can take Paris Campbell, and, and now it's a case of how do you use him? Uh, one thing people can probably look at is perhaps as a return guy, maybe more punt return than kickoff return because the league's doing a really good job of uh, trying to not let you return kicks. Correct. So, but but they think this guy, if he can get comfortable on punt returns, he can be something special. Uh, and and initially, again back back to Paris Campbell in in what Chris Powder said at the combine, he said one of the better workouts I've ever I've seen in a long time. Hmm. He said Frank's head up in the press box watching him. He said Paris Campbell, yeah, pretty good. So so again, it's and, and then he said again, the question with Paris is how long will it take for him to really learn how to play outside? He just hasn't done it. He said, "That's gonna. There's gonna be an adjustment period for him. We think he can do it, but how long will it take?" And then he did mention, "How long did it take Reggie Wayne to be a great player?" I'm not calling him Reggie Wayne, mm-hmm. but it took Reggie until year three <laughs> or so. Uh, is is it gonna take him that long? We'll see. But they think this kid's gonna be special, and they're gonna find a way to use him immediately. The balance is gonna be maximizing what he can do out of the slot yet giving him exposure outside and in other areas to where he can grow his game. So I think, fun to watch. Yeah, I, this year I think his opportunities will be limited, and they will grow over the years as he better fits and better learns the offense. So he will be on the field on a limited basis more so this year, and you'll see more T.Y., you'll see more Funchess, you'll see more of the tight ends. Two tight, they, they, they love two tight ends. They do. They, they just do. And, and, and Ebron is a great pass. Not that Doyle isn't, but Ebron's a great pass-catching tight end. Doyle's a great blocking tight end, not that Ebron's a terrible blocking tight end. Well, two years ago, uh, Doyle had 80 catches. Yeah. Second most in franchise history. So, so yeah, exactly. He, he can catch the balls. It's not like these guys are are the old Mark Bavaros of the uh, NFL, but Bavaro could actually catch the ball. i, I got to think of somebody else, a, a better old tight end. That, Probably that, somebody uh, from Syracuse. Hey, John Mackey <laughs> could could catch the ball better than anybody. You watch yourself over there talking about Syracuse <laughs> tight ends. I'll bring, I'll bring the hammer down. <laughs> but, but again, it's, what's, what's interesting is, is what they've done, and we've talked about this, is, is they're breaking the mold of how players are viewed. Naheem Hines is a running back, but he's so much more. Mm-hmm. And how they're going to use him with Marlon Mack getting the, the bulk of the carries. And now you've got uh, Paris Campbell. How they're going to work him in there with, with again, with Funches, with T.Y., with the tight ends, and with Hines. It's going to be interesting. And then how do you work in the younger receivers? It's going to be really interesting, and it's going to be a challenge, which one I'm sure they're going to enjoy for Reich and Nick Sirianni. Let's go uh, back to the defensive side of the ball, go with the safety Willis. He's a guy that on draft on the night that the Colts drafted him, Chris Ballard came out and said, we loved Willis. And so they traded up as well to get him. So whenever Chris Ballard parts with a draft pick to move up to get a player, that's another thing that should get your attention, shine a spotlight on this guy. It's something that Chris Ballard thinks will have a good future in the NFL if he is giving up a draft pick to get him. So what did Chris Ballard have to say about Willis? Well, they moved up to get him because he said when it got to that point, there was one safety on the board worthy of, of that type of uh, drafting position, and it was him. 
he just said all all during the, the the evaluation process, his scouts kept saying, "What about Kahari Willis? What about Willis?" And so they really really focused on this guy. And and what was interesting is he said a quote. He said, "Is he is he exceptional anywhere?" I'd say he's good everywhere. He's just good. His instincts are exceptional. He considered him the best tackling safety in the draft. He he just said when we got to the fourth round, I thought there was a big drop off after Willis. So again, this is a guy that can play free safety, strong safety in the box. He can cover tight ends out of the slot. Again, it's another player where you want. He's and somebody mentioned. Well, the, the 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 description is he's a box safety. He said, no, that's off the mark. This guy is not a box safety. He's mm-hmm. everything you want back there. Again, an, another type of draft pick that can do many, many things. And I tell you, on game day, when you've got a player who can play three or four positions, sort of like Joe Haig on the offensive line, you only dress so many guys, 46 guys on, on game day. To have a guy who can do different things if, if a player goes down or if you need to do different things because of injuries, whatever. This guy gives you that versatility. And with the, how the Colts' safeties have just gone the past couple of years, he'll, he'll probably get a little bit of playing time there just because Clayton Gathers has missed some time. Uh, Malik Hooker has missed some time. If you go even beyond them last year, safety was a, uh, a graveyard, it seemed like, at times last year when um, uh, other players uh, went down as well. The, the, well, they brought in Mike Farley. Mitchell. Yeah, Mike Mitchell. They the, needed to bring they had to bring, it, was, it was a great signing. But it was one out of necessity, right? And then he got hurt too, and then he got <laughs> like the, the game. He he was here for a, a week. He, he won started, defensive player. Well, of the he week. started in the next week. He wins defensive player of the week, and then he had a, it was a ham or a quad or what it was. But yeah. but again, it's 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 those things. And when we finally pressed Chris Ballaron a little bit about while you're trying to build for the now, he said you have to look at the situation that you've got at safety. Most of those guys are under one-year contracts, if not all. And all of them have injury issues, even Malik Hooker. We talked uh, at length about the Colts' offense last week, how that offense could improve from year one under Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni, to year two under Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni. So we figured we'd switch things up this week, go with the defensive side of the ball. How can they be better in year two under Frank Reich, Matt Eberflus specifically? Um Colts defense certainly made vast improvements from 2017 to 2018 in the first year under this coaching staff. 2017, they were 30th in points allowed per game, giving up more than 25. They jumped 20 spots in the NFL all the way up to 10th in 2018, allowing just 21.5 points per game. 2017, they were 30th in yards, once again, third last in the NFL, jumped up to 11th in yards allowed per game, um, from 367 yards allowed to 339, so an improvement of nearly 30 yards per game there and 30 yards in a game you think that that's not that much but over the course of the season 30 right that's three first downs in a game right it does really adds up and only four points again in points that's less than a touchdown but over the course of the season that adds up and when your offense is led by Andrew Luck and if he gets x number of points if your defense can hold him below 20 I I checked it I've got it here mm -hmm. in the Luck era I I, I, because I knew it was going to come up since 2012 17 points or fewer when the Colts allow 70 points or fewer. There's been 40 games. They're 36 and four. Hmm. They're 31 and one with Andrew Luck when the defense holds the team to 17 points. So you're not you're not asking for you know the 85 Bears. Right. Just be hold up your end and, and keep a game respectable. And our offense is going to win the day. And they took steps forward last year, certainly in getting to that point. Mike, what steps do you feel like they still have to take to be the defense that uh, could take this team as a whole to the next level? It's the pass rush. It starts again. It's chicken or the egg. Is it pass rush or is it is coverage? It coverage? Is it coverage? Pro Football Focus did a really interesting in-depth study, by the way, about this. If you didn't read it, or if nobody out there read it, was what is more effective, the pass rush or the coverage in providing a good defense? And I think both. Like they had one guy make each argument, and it was really interesting to hear both sides. I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody wants to go further in depth. Head to Pro Football Focus, and you can find th- those stories there. But sorry about that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pass rush guy. Okay. Bill Polian. Most people are. Bill Polian's first draft pick, I believe, in Buffalo, was Bruce Smith. He was okay. And in 2002, the Colts used 11th pick on Dwight Freeney. He was okay. Right. Out of? (laughs) Someplace on the East Coast. I don't remember what it is. I'm not going to stop. (laughs) But but again, they they need to get a more consistent pass rush. 
then they should. The one one stat that just jumped off the table at me is that they were what tenth in in yards. They were tenth in eleventh in yards, tenth in points last year. The last time they were a top eleven in both was in two thousand and eight. So we're talking something that this team does, hasn't done much. Now th- th- this was a, a a common practice during the the Dungey era, mm-hmm. but again, just just be a solid top ten defense. And the way this team is built, you know, eight games at home on that turf with Luck and Hilton and Mack and Ebron and Doyle and on and on and on. It, it just – but, again, I think this defense has a chance. It, well, it should be better. It should, simply should be better next year. You, you've got the – you've got Tyquan Lewis who, who played maybe half a season because of a, a foot injury. Uh, Darius Leonard is going to be better because he's not a rookie anymore and he was pretty doggone good last year. Uh, Justin Houston, if he plays, I don't know, 12 games, what he can do to the other players, when's the last time, and I'm not counting Darius Leonard, when's the last time a, a, an offense had to worry about, had to game plan to to, to to slow somebody down? Robert Mathis in 2013, maybe? Probably, yeah. So it, Maybe you game plan not to throw it deep with Malik Hooker in there when he's at 100%. And, and, we'll, and we'll see. We, we really, I don't think we've seen Malik Hooker 100%. Uh-huh. Probably yet. Yeah. So, so again, I, I think uh, I just think that the pieces are in place. Clayton gathers. He 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 needs to stay healthy, and and if he can, it's a it's a really really good secondary. Quincy Wilson, we talked about, but I like the depth, the quality depth they have on the front four, the front seven, and Eberflus showed last year what you could do with okay talent. Certainly not great talent. Mm-hmm. One thing that was really interesting, uh, I keep harping on things that Chris Ballard talked about it because it was so it's so revealing that when he first got here, uh, the question was, you know, in his mind is what do we have to fix? He said the defense. Yeah. He said really there was only one player to build around here two years ago, and that was Gathers. He said that's it. There was not another player defensively. It was an older defense that needed a complete rehaul. He said first year our starting inside linebackers were. Antonio Morrison, John Bostic, and Jeremiah George. And now, and now look what they've got. He said the front was Jonathan Hankins, Henry Anderson, who Ballard mentions is a very good player. Right. Just wasn't deemed a good fit for this defense. And Al Woods, he said it was a complete redo on defense. And I think I looked at, I hope I don't have that my numbers wrong, but uh, of the 29 draft picks that Ballard's had since he's gotten here, I think 17 are on defense. Mm-hmm. And most of them are playing significant roles. Oh, and quite a few of them have been on the line. You saw a couple last year on the line, especially with um, Kamoko Ture, Taekwon Lewis. Those are two guys that you expect to see a little bit more of this year. Again, guys that struggled a bit with injury last year, but now that they're in year two, you expect them to take another step forward. Even if a guy like Ture is playing behind Justin Houston, he's probably going to be in on a few more snaps this year just because he's going to get a few more opportunities, assuming he stays healthy. And we again with it. Well, we, we keep looking at the new people and all this, and let's not forget the the, the value and the contributions of Jabal Sherrod. Just just an outstanding uh, free agent signing three years ago, the first year. Danico Autry, Autry and Ebron were two of the best free agent signings in the league last year. And once again, those are not guys that are signed on the first day of NFL free right. agency. Right. So you so you can't. I'm as bad as anyone when you see. The Colts have got all this cap space. You have a need. You can you know, go out and spend it. Go get Landon Collins. Go, go out. Yeah, you know, what was it again? Eighty-five, ninety million dollars. Guaranteed really? was it? Yeah. It was just crazy. So it's it, it's one where they do have a plan. And again, what 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 this thing showed is how they're so right now. They they, they think they got the offense in pretty good shape. You've got the quarterback. You got the receivers. You got the running backs, the tight ends, the offensive line. It's back intact. The starter for the first time since '06, mm-hmm. which was a pretty good year. Not too bad. Uh, so, so they've they're really focused on this defense. Uh, and again, it's we he, you know he talked he said he said Fluss, Eva Fluss, and the defense the defensive staff did a pretty incredible job of coaching last year. He said they, this scheme is all about effort. If you you have to play in this scheme with effort, he said it's hard to bring free agents in because they don't understand how you have to play. 
I remember we were talking to Darius Leonard last year, his rookie season. He had 19 tackles at Washington. Right. Week two. Week two. And we talked to him, and he said, yeah. He said, all they want to talk about the next day was my loafs. He had like six or seven loafs. <laughs> he said, I thought I had 19 tackles, and they're talking about loafs. But that's what this defense is about. It's about accountability. And Ballard joked that what's, what's really incredible and important to this defense, he said, when they review film, guys are in there together all at once. And they'll they'll show the film and say, "That's a loaf on on fifty three, the loaf on this guy." And these guys are thinking, "I thought I played pretty well," mm-hmm. but they hold these guys to a different standard. He said, "He said, when you watch the Cincinnati film, and then you watch the next week, I think it was at Washington, maybe it was." He said that the difference in effort was incredible because now they understood what you had, how you had to play in this defense. If you go past the defensive line to the linebacker, and you've brought up the linebackers already, been talking about them a bit, but. I think is this is a really intriguing year for me for Anthony Walker because he kind of stepped up last year for sure, right alongside Darius Leonard. L- Walker was in the backfield quite a bit himself, had quite a few tackles for loss. I don't know exactly how many at the top of my head, but I think he was second on the team to Darius second Leonard. Second or third on the yeah, team. Right D- double figures. Yes. Um, so, so he had a pretty darn good year, played quite a bit, a bit of good football. And now the question is, it's going to be year three for him. Do you take a step forward and – improve even as a player or do you lose out on some time because of all these rookie linebackers that uh that the Colts have brought in through the draft so I'm going to be watching Anthony Walker quite a bit to see how he responds to to these new guys being along hungry guys trying to steal his his reps you could argue that if he doesn't start that's a really really good thing for this team you could certainly make that argument because again he's a quality player last year and he's he hasn't even approached his prime yet third season so so if, if someone can come in and beat him out as a rookie, God love him. And if Anthony Walker is one of your backups, it shows you the strength of this group. I don't think that's going to happen right away. I don't right, think so. Right I was going to say, yeah, I want to tap the brakes for a right. second. Yeah, but I but I wanted to bring that up because I think Anthony Walker was overshadowed last year by Darius Leonard, understandably so because of the all-pro season he had. But he had a really good year, and I think Anthony Walker deserves some attention from Colts fans this year. A lot of us, I'm, I'm one of them wondering how he fit in this new defense last year. Mm-hmm. I really did. But again, he he just he stepped up. He adapted. He's probably the smartest player on defense, and, and don't dismiss the value of that as a middle linebacker. So I, it's going to take a very very solid rookie with training camp to beat out Anthony Walker. The secondary has the potential to be very good, but we've also seen how one or two injuries over the past couple of years can really turn a promising looking secondary into a dangerous-looking secondary. Dangerous not meaning in what you can do, but what can be done to you. So you figure your starting unit is uh, not too shabby with Malik Hooker and Clayton Gathers uh, on the back end, and then uh, Quincy Wilson, who improved late last season, making a couple starts down the stretch where he played good football. Kenny Moore had a really good year, too, as an undrafted free agent two years ago. Uh, I joke all the time about about his pass rushing acumen, but he's he's a pretty good nickel corner as well. And you need a good nickel corner these days in the NFL because you're not playing your base defense all the time, Mike. You, so and and then Pierre Desir they brought back in a free agent contract. So the front end looks good. What's behind them could be the determination whether the secondary performs at a level that you want this season. Because you you want you want to go into the season with five or six guys that you're really really comfortable with, right? You've mentioned four, Nate Harrison. Well, you mentioned five. I guess again at corner with Pierre Desir, Kenny Moore, Quincy Wilson, Rakusin. We didn't really talk about Marvell Taylor the third. They really like this kid who's making the transition mm-hmm. to corner. So, so he's he's gonna he's gonna make the roster. He just is. And, and one quick aside on Marvell Taylor, as I asked Chris Ballard, I said, you know, you guys tried to do this a couple of years ago. With T.J. Green, Green. He, 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 if he had a bottle of water, he'd have thrown it at me. <laughs> he said, "This is not T.J. Green." I won't go much further than that. It's wise. They they really think this kid's got to make up to be a, a tall, rangy corner. So it's going to be a good group. You've got Jalen Collins, who's sort of the wild card, who's former second round pick. For, former hadn't played in a year or two though because right. of suspensions. And what what if he develops and regains his form at safety again? Malik Cooker, Clayton Gathers, Matthias Farley, who was really the Mister Everybody at positions, could back up a lot of places. Really good special teamer misses 
most of last year. Then you add uh, Kahari uh, Willis. It, like you said, it, it's. And I tell you, another guy that they're really, really high on is George Odom, undrafted guy last year. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like you said on paper here in in, in mid May, you really like where they are. At least you're not sitting here like they were. 2012 or 13, where in mid-June they had to go out and get uh, Mike Adams, mm-hmm. which turned out to be a great, great acquisition. But you you got him because you needed him. Uh, it was a Delano Howell or somebody had a neck injury and kept him from playing. So at least at this point you've got most positions well-stocked, not just with bodies, but with proven bodies. So you really like what they have moving forward. And what Chris Ballard has said this offseason and even before this offseason is the goal is that when you cut guys down from 90 to 53, that those guys are going to get picked up by other teams, that you have built that kind of depth on your roster through your draft class by stacking draft classes year after year, by bringing in solid talent year after year, that eventually the guys you cut get picked up. And that's something you this Colts team has not seen very often is the guys that get released here get picked up elsewhere. I can pick, think of a few. Uh, Zach Banner and T.Y. McGill from a couple years ago. Banner was that fourth-round pick, the one pick that is probably the, the pockmark on Chris Ballard's resume. Uh, Terrell Basham. Terrell Basham is, as well, is more of a, last year. Right. Um, got cut and then picked up by the Jets, Jets as well. Correct. So, yes, you bring that up too. But, yeah, that's – and, again, what's important is when you're making that final cut in the last week of – August, whatever it is, the first week of September, it's got to be difficult. If you you know you've got your roster in a good spot, is when you get to like sixty or fifty eight, you've got tough decisions. Yeah, where you're not saying, "Gosh, I could get down to forty five and not feel bad about it." So I think they're going to have some really difficult decisions, and we've talked about this before. We can do it in the future, but wide receiver, a defensive line, corner, uh, I think there's going to be some very tough decisions, and again. That's a good thing to when you have to really argue how do we keep this corner over that receiver over this linebacker. So uh, it's it's it, the roster is finally getting to where top to bottom it's in very very good shape. You say you just said like a couple months ago, Marvell Tell is going to make the roster. He just is. I, when I was first going through the fifty three man myself, I was like, I don't know if he's going to make the roster just because of who's in front of him and w- what positions they might need. So that that like secondary. There, there's many positions this year where there's going to be good argument. There's going to be good discussion about who should make the team, who should not make the team. Joe? And I think overall something to really feel good about with this defense is just the depth as far as injuries are concerned. Last year, the Colts' defense really didn't have any major injuries when you talk about starters. Autry missed four games. Leonard and Walker each missed one. But there wasn't that one guy who was out for the season that really was a big blow. That could very well happen this year, and the Colts are better suited to have the next guy step up. I guess the one guy who missed the season was a backup was Farley. He kind of got knocked out week five or week six, didn't he? It was New England, I believe. It yeah. Was. So, so, but, but your point is correct that the starters, like last year, they did not get knocked out. So, yes. Well, and the one thing fans always complain about, and sometimes the media as well, is, is why didn't you have enough depth at this position? Well, they really did last year at receiver and safety, but when you lose so many players at one position, you can only carry, like offensive line, you're only going to carry maybe nine players. Mm-hmm. So when you lose two or three, it just, you know, then you go and get the practice squad to get Evan Bame in there. Because even at 53, you still need to take off a certain number of guys, like your, your inactive list every week. So you, you don't have 53 players dressed to play every week. So even after 53, you need to cut down well, it, further. It was a New England game where they had like – you didn't carry, you know, you, you were down to like 43 players mm-hmm. because you had so many injured players. And that's why now you try to do as much as you can to prepare to where when injuries happen and you go to your fifth player to position, he's a guy that you feel semi-comfortable with on the field. The one thing that Ballard was interesting in, he showed us at the draft room, he's got, all the walls are like these magnetic boards all the teams are broken down on one wall. They got all the free agents that they're out there now. Street free agents, guys with that are veterans. So that come September, when you know, oh my goodness, we've been hit at receiver. We need. Well, you go to your board and you see who's available. It's not like flipping through a book to try to see who you guys are. You know quickly who's out there. So this is a never-ending process. Well, we talked about how much they're always 
changing the roster. They just signed a defensive end a couple days ago. I'd mention his name, but I don't know who the heck he is. It's gone. And they got rid of a guy who I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. But, but that's what you do this time of year. You're always trying to find a way to get a little bit better every day, every week. And that's that's their commitment. So if the Colts improved to 10th in points allowed last year and 11th in yards allowed, where do you think is a good, reasonable expectation for them to finish up this year if they um, if they get what they think they're going to get out of out of this this unit? I think as fine of a line as it, 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 it is every year, top 10 is, is, is fine. Mm-hmm. Top 10 is where, where you really want to see them improve are the takeaways and, and on sacks. Those are the plays that make a difference. The way that this defense in the past has played, you know, they were one of the worst in the league on third downs because they give you the underneath stuff. And teams drive and drive and drive. You know, Dungy always used to say, on a 15-play drive, the defense is going to mess, or we're going to make a play, or they're going to mess up. Well, they want to get to the point, these guys, this Colt defense, where they're forcing the issue, and they're forcing those takeaways. And the way you get takeaways is the pass rush. If it's not an interception, if it's not a sack and a forced fumble, it's making the quarterback throw too quick, make him throw before he's ready, make him throw under duress, and that's how games are changed. So to me, I'd be fine top 10. They'd like a lot more, but Get, get the interceptions up and get the sacks up, and then that'll impact the rest of your game. How far we have come in one year's time. Last year, USA Today projected the Colts to go 2-14, and 14, dead last in the NFL. This year, uh, quite a few higher national expectations for the horseshoe. Peter King of NBC's Pro Football Talk says third in the NFL in his NFL power rankings. USA Today from 2-14 and 14 all the way to fourth in their NFL power rankings. Climb on the bandwagon. Exactly. Everyone is climbing on the bandwagon. The Colts are kind of a hot, trendy pick this offseason. Mel Kuyper says he sees them going to the Super Bowl because ESPN declared the Colts once again the winner of the 2019 NFL draft. So When's the, when's the parade downtown for that? I can't wait. We're going to be out there live. 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock newscast. Uh, it's going to be 2 o'clock in the morning, I think. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, count, count me out then. Um, the Colts have deserved these numbers because... They showed a lot of improvement last year, and they had a, a widely regarded a good draft class. Mike, we've talked the past two weeks about offense and defense. They're getting better at, on both sides of the ball in terms of depth and talent on both sides. So you understand why uh, national prognosticators think that they could be a better team. But now the Colts have to deal with these higher expectations. It's one thing to go in a season where nobody believes in you and the spotlight's not on you and outperform. It's another thing when the spotlight is on you to go out and show that people were right all along because somebody's going to jump right on your back if things don't go well. If they start one and five this year, it's going to be a lot different than it was last year, the field. Last year, it's still nobody believes in us. Oh, whatever. They, they thought we were going to go two and 14 anyway. Let's rally together, band together, and finish. This year, it's, well, everybody was wrong. You guys are terrible. You're not as good as we thought you were. Last year was a flash in the pan. The narrative's going to be completely different if something similar happens, just because of the preseason expectations. And it's funny how players and, and coaches will tell us, tell the media, that we don't read what you guys put out there. We, we don't, we, you know, it, we stay in the building. Who, who remembers that, that picture of Frank Reich? I think it was in Tennessee after they made the playoffs the last week of the season. Mm-hmm. He brought out that 32 sign. Yep. So don't tell me they don't use motivation like that. They do. Chuck Pagano did the same thing. They had T-shirts made with 32 on it. So, again, I looked at this. Sporting News has got New England 1, Kansas City 2. Understandable. Both picks. Uh, you can't take New England down until they prove you otherwise. New Orleans 3. Mm-hmm. The Rams four, the Colts five. Mm-hmm. Yep. I feel pretty good about that. And I could argue as objective as I could that five, six is a pretty good spot for the Colts because and that's not being, you know, homework. It's just looking at what they've got, what they've done, the makeup of the team. And when you've got the quarterback, how many times have we talk about that? When you've got that guy, mm-hmm. when you've got Mahomes or or Breeze or Brady or Manning in his heyday, or Luck, you're in the discussion simply because you are. That guy gives you that chance every game. When you don't have him, you're swimming upstream. So uh, I think the expectations should be high. They are high. And if you're any kind of a competitor, which this team has, 
you should embrace that. And that that next group uh, of play, after the first four, the first four you mentioned were all the uh, conference finalists last last year, if I'm not mistaken. Those four: the uh, uh, the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Rams, and the Saints. Saints. So after that, it's a group of people, a group of teams that have good quarterbacks that could take the next step. It would be the Colts here with luck. Um, Char- I don't know who Char- the, uh, Chargers, the Chargers with, with Rivers. Rivers. Uh, I'm sure the Eagles with Wentz are up there as well. Green, Green Bay with Rodgers. Green Bay with Rodgers, and is, there, exactly. is there any team that's underachieved with an elite quarterback than Green Bay over the last five or six years? I, I, I'd be hard-pressed to find one. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are top ten. Uh, the that, ba- is, the- that is – We'll see. You, you you talk risk or re- I mean total risk bo- or boomer bust. Yeah, completely. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people are predicting them to boom. That's another thing that could go boom right in your face if you know what I mean. Philly and Dallas are ten and eleven. So it, it's it's the point of it's a quarterback league. It's, it, it, and that's why I say if give me a cover guy or a, or a pass rusher, take a pass rusher every day. Mm-hmm. What do the Colts need to do for the season to be? A success, you know these high expectations. Is it the division? Is it championship game, Super Bowl? I think winning a division would be a good step forward because it's been a hot minute, and this team used to rule the roost in the AFC South. Yeah, two thousand fourteen. I think it was. Yeah, so it's been five years now, and that's if you go back ten years, that's unheard of. The Colts would go five years without winning an AFC South. So, and I think that with with this with this division. I think that eleven and five can win the division for sure. I mean, uh, you don't have to go too crazy. I don't think to win this division. Ten and six might even win this division. Heck, nine and seven won it last year. So, win win the division would be a good step forward um, because that it just it shows you're becoming more consistent throughout the year. Uh, if you're able to win that, after that, once you get to the playoffs, it's hard for me to say. Well, they have to get to the conference finals, or else it's it's a down year. Or else they didn't take any steps forward. What they can tangibly do during the regular season is be a more consistent team, win more there, and win the division in order to get yourself a home playoff game. And then, as Jim Irsay has said this offseason, in order to get that first round by, which would be. Ultra isn't that probably eleven important. and five? If you're yeah. if you're going to get that first round yeah. buy, that's how you take the next step. Yeah, is you get get one of those first round buys, or you find a way to win two on the road. You know, I, th- I think the perception will be to to be better, win the division, go at least a step further in the playoffs. But but I think anything less anything less than what we've talked about, it'll be a disappointment because this team, it's on the rise. It's got young players. You know, and a Vinatieri notwithstanding. Hmm. So you took uh, him off. The, they'd be like the youngest team in the NFL. Yeah. It's not, it's not, shoots the, the average way. They, up. They've got like twenty-five rookies, and then they've got Adam Vinatieri. <laughs> but uh, but again, I just think anything less than than the perceived step forward. Again, division. Again, if you win the division and lose the first round, then I don't think you have taken a step forward. Mm. Again, and we talked last week. You can be a better team on the field and not be a better team. In the standings, but having said that, win the division, win a second, win a first round game again, and then you just take your chances. But anything less than that, I think, will be a disappointment. Yeah, I I think a first round buy would be a significant step forward, just because of the challenge they have in the AFC with the Patriots, with the Chiefs teams that I think are going to be really good for as long as Tom Brady's playing and as long as Patrick Mahomes is playing once again. So then. Who knows which one of those is going to be longer at, at this point in their careers because <laughs> Brady just, just doesn't stop. But I, for me, I'd be, I'd be pretty darn happy with winning the division, to be honest. And you would certainly hope and want them to, to win that first well, if, game. Well, if you win your play. division, that means you're playing at home. Exactly. So then if, if you win the division and lose at home in the first round, then the taste that would leave with – Everyone would be huge. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the taste that Houston's had to deal with this entire offseason. We have said that we're going to get into some things about the Colts' uh, AFC South competitors. I do not think we have time right now to do that here. We'll save that for, for some future weeks where maybe the, uh, the topics are a little bit more slim pickings. But uh, we'll talk about the Houston Texans, stuff they have done in the offseason, uh, stuff they haven't done in the offseason. Uh, same thing with the Jaguars, with the Titans over the coming weeks. Talk about how they have changed, how they haven't changed, how they match up with the Colts, how they don't match up with the Colts, all those uh, intriguing details to look forward to perhaps the Colts return to the top of the AFC South. Who knows? I'm not predicting anything. I'm just speculating right now. It's what we do. Indeed. 
He's Mike Chappell at mchappell51 on Twitter. I'm Dave Griffiths at DaveG underscore sports on Twitter. You can follow Joe Hopkins, our man on the board, at Roto Street Joe as well. This is the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Follow us at Colts Blue Zone. Be sure to download us and subscribe if you want it every week delivered straight to your podcast listening device. Can't imagine why you wouldn't if you've made it this far today. For Mike and Joe, I'm Dave. Take care. Have a good one. We'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone.